This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, Argentina. Not so much a revolution, more an evolution, as the country's pursuit of quality over quantity reaps rewards. Its wines winning new fans the world over. Masters of Wine, Dircy Viana Jr. and Beth Pierce reflect on judging its wines and what makes them so special. With an illustrious history of viticulture, Argentina is in reality anything but New World. Yet its wines have only really won our hearts in the last couple of decades. Thanks in the most part to Malbec, a variety that the country has truly made its own. Argentina's wines are evolving. The area under vine has actually shrunk slightly in recent years as producers have focused on quality over quantity and pursued new vineyards at altitude and at latitude. The IWSC undertook its first ever in-situ judging in Argentina last year. I was uh, lucky enough to be there. Master of Wine, Dercy Viana Jr. was in charge and Beth Pierce, another MW, was also there judging and both Junior and Beth join me now. Uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you, David. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great to have you as always and uh, Beth too. And let's start then uh, with Argentina, a bit of historical perspective. Now, I'm not trying to suggest you're the old father time of wine, <laughs> Junior, obviously, but it is a region that you knew before many of the rest of us did. And it has this really proud history of winemaking and a wine culture that not everyone in this country will necessarily know about. That's, that's right, David. But uh, in most people, when you think about wines and think about uh, South American wine specifically, we always think of Chile and Argentina, obviously. But uh, I'm going to test you now, David. Do you know uh, when wines first arrived to, to the Americas? <sighs> Oh, 
Now, I want to say it would be with colonial Spanish arrivals, but I you don't know. absolutely right. Okay, so a few hundred years ago then. A few hundred years ago. And people think, oh, he's gone to South America. Actually not. He arrived via the Dominican Republic in 1493. And from there, he went to Peru. And just after Peru, he went to Chile. And he arrived in Argentina by the mid-16th century via the Spanish conquistadores. So it's, uh, it's it, Argentina was not the first port of call. There's been other countries before that. And after that, it went to Uruguay and Brazil and so on. And, uh, yeah, so but I do have, uh, 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 as you mentioned, a uh, uh, Long association. I've been I've been to Argentina the first time probably about two decades ago. So not that long ago, but it's been it's enough to have uh, seen what happened, especially uh, the developments of the last twenty years. I was going to say yes, two decades, not that long in the grand scheme of things, but yes, big changes in that time. I imagine. Huge, huge changes, absolutely huge changes, huge changes in agriculture and winemaking and people's philosophy and, and everything. So it's, it's been, it's been uh, very interesting to, to see that. And what have you seen change then? Well, um, I think in terms of, of the wine, uh, I remember my first visit to, to Argentina and I was watching a, a, a polo match and there was this old uh, farmer sitting and I went to speak to him. And obviously, I mean, we look at the textbooks and, and the textbook says, oh, in, in the 1970s, people used to drink uh, 90 liters per capita, which was quite a lot at the time. And this old farmer explained to me how they were drinking because the wine at the time was not great. He said, oh, the wine was oxidized, mostly white, actually, but it was brown and oxidized. And people, workers used to come home and add water and ice to the wine and and then drink it just to refresh. So that's this is how this is how it was at the time. I mean, going back in the seventies, even before I got there. And then, uh, as a few decades later, as uh, as the wine consumption decreased, people start drinking more beers and soft drinks. And that had had the producer had more pressure to export. Then we've seen a, a vast improvement of of, of quality. And uh, in terms of technology, in terms of know-how, let's call it a phase two, for example. The phase one was those, those brown oxidized wine I mentioned, and phase two would be those this improved quality. And then um, then we start seeing influences of uh, people traveling to Argentina and wine critics and consultants. And the wines at the time, it became more, I'm going back in the 80s, or perhaps 90s, the wines became more, powerful much more full body and muscular less and i think robert parker had something to 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 do with that and let's call that phase three uh and so now we're talking about uh most recently i, I, I was in argentina about uh just before christmas so a month ago so and uh the wines are just becoming more elegant there's just a, a, a more a better sense of place so I think they're they are really becoming more, just wonderful, elegant wines without being too powerful. That's, let's call it that phase four. And that's where I think we are now. That's, so going back to your question, I think this, is, this has been the evolution in, in, in the last decades. And that was phase four. I like your phases uh, very much. That makes it uh, easily digestible. Um, 
more about uh, how they've improved when we talk about uh, the judging that you oversaw. But uh, Beth, uh, let's bring you in here. Um, That growth that I mentioned for Argentina, um, it is, although it has that proud winemaking history that Junior referenced, it is a relatively recent phenomenon for UK consumers, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I I sort of think back to my experience in the wine trade and I started on the shop floor at Majestic in 2009, 2010. And I think there would have been a selection of Malbecs there at that point, but then it just grew and grew from there um, until it was a, an incredibly significant category in the shops there. And then, you know, and then competition began as well in, in grocery. And now I would say, you know, you'd rarely see a wine list or a or a shelf in a wine shop without Argentinian wine featured, um, you know, most notably Malbec, of course. Um, you know, along with specialist restaurants and the like. Why do you think it is, and you have that shop floor experience at the start of your wine career, why is it that Argentina has proven so popular with this country's wine lovers? I suppose if you if you think mostly in terms of reds, I think it's it's a style thing. I think the style is very accessible and that's what makes it such an easy thing to, to recommend to consumers that sort of fruit-driven, smooth, textured style in their red wines, um, I think, you know, have, have true sort of mass appeal. And then I think the uh, producers there have always played it um, very cleverly in terms of price as well. Um, you know, I think there's there does manage to be a, a premium, um, certainly in the on-trade, but as well the, the price is very accessible. And it is accessible, yet at the top end there are a few wines that are traded on the Place de Bordeaux, a very small number. I mean, it's very smart of them, isn't it, to have given the consumer a, a kind of ladder to climb in terms of price and quality? Yeah, I think so. And I think I think what we're seeing now at the, the top end is producers really honing in on on site um, and expressing that in the wines. Um, and, and yeah, not, not playing too much into just that sort of that rich fruit, fruit cakey Malbec, but kind of really honing in on expressing the, the terroir through the wine. Argentina's winemakers have been um, climbing both metaphorically in terms of reputation, as we've been hearing, and also literally uh, pursuing altitude in the foothills of the Andes. Um, Beth, just explain for those who may hear us talking about altitude all the time, but might not understand why we have that obsession. uh, What difference does it make and why? Yeah, it's definitely become the kind of go-to thing to talk about, I think, with with, um, with producers there and to consumers. And it's always assumed that altitude equals equals good things, which I think, you know, is often the case. I suppose that it's most, as it's, that it's most simple, you know, the higher you go, the cooler it is. And so the ripening slows down. And I think uh, the, the official stat is something like half a degree or 0.6 degrees for every 100 metres you climb. I think for Argentina, what's what's really fascinating is it's just out. You know, the wines are inextricable, inextricably linked with uh, with the mountains there, with the Andes, and exactly where the vineyards are. You know, it gives so much to um, the the terroir of the wine. So where they are in relation to the mountains, how high up, it defines you know every every element that we talk about when it comes to terroir. So soil depth, soil type which, you know, changes a few a few metres to a few metres. That sort of availability of water. Um, you know, a really unique thing is you can be in an incredibly cool vineyard, somewhere that's, you know, technically probably as cool as Burgundy or Champagne, 
um, but they get so much uh, sun that it really just affects the style of the grapes that you end up harvesting from there. So really, it's it is kind of everything for those for those vineyards where where the mountains are a real influence. And you know, I know that's not all of Argentina, but it is it is the vast majority. And as a consumer, we can taste this, can we? We can identify it in a wine. Yeah, I think you can. I think you can in the style of the fruit. So the the kind of the flavours you get from the fruit, um, you know, it turns from that sort of darker blackberry fruit into fresh red berry fruit. You get that kind of lifted um, acidity. I think you get a kind of coolness, like a sort of mountain air kind of coolness to a lot of the best wines from there. So, yeah, I think it does. Um, it, it, it affects everything in the wine. And alongside altitude, we also need to talk, I suppose, about attitude. Uh, and that is uh, winemaking style, because the Argentinians have been very clever about uh, adapting that style, haven't they? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot more. I suppose there's been a bit of a shift gen- generally all around the globe to sort of pairing back a little bit those winemaking techniques that can can mask um, what the fruit just gives you from from sort of picking it at the right time and growing it in the right place. So uh, I think the day and when we were tasting in Mendoza you know there weren't many wines that were really kind of heavily oaked and and over extracted and had obviously been left to ripen for a really long time um because I don't really think I don't really think there's that opportunity to do that when it comes to ripening and then I think people are much more careful with their with the way that they use oak so that it's so that it adds something it doesn't actually take away from from that purity of the fruit. So Junior what's more important altitude or attitude do you think? That's a good question, uh, David. I, I think altitude is is vital. I don't know where I, where I read this or whoever told me, but uh, it's an interesting fact. He said, if there was no altitude in Argentina, the climate, the conditions will be similar to Baghdad, uh, which means there's no wine there. It's <laughs> simply too hot. It's, it's, it's crazy if you think that way. Wow. So altitude uh it's it's uh it's very very important uh but i think altitude alone does not make great wine uh, and i think you need uh you need attitude you need determination you need uh, to have uh, a great philosophy and, and pride to do to do the best work you possibly can and i think argentina is they they have all that they have determination they have uh, attitude uh, as well as altitude Absolutely. Yes, I would uh, agree with that 100% from uh, the judging we undertook in our visit to those wineries too. Um, For many consumers, Argentina means Malbec. And that's in one sense uh, a blessing because they've made such a success of that grape variety. But you could argue as well that it's a bit of a curse because Malbec does rather overshadow other grape varieties, doesn't it? Yes, I think Argentina is, is synonymous with Malbec. There is no doubt about it. Uh, that it overshadows everything else, I think, is, is hard to dispute. But, um, okay, let me ask you a question. What is the, is the red variety of Burgundy? Well, Pinot Noir. What is the second? Oh. You have to start thinking about it. It's Gamay. And then, yes, of course. And, but <laughs> there are other varieties. There, there are varieties that people never have never heard of. There is a variety called Cesar. There are variety called Trésor. And then, and then, are, then again, there are many white varieties uh, aside from Chardonnay and Ligoté, 
some of which people are not familiar with. A variety, of, for example, called Sassi and uh, Pinot Gris and so on. So does it really matter uh, that Malbec is it's it's um, it overshadows everything else? I I don't think so. I think it's is is um, uh, Malbec is to Argentina what Pinot Noir is to Burgundy. So it's. I think, we, and we're going to see more and more. It's less important uh, that we talk about Malbec, and we talk more about about the the location itself, the sense of place. So uh, it is synonymous, but I don't think it matters. And Beth, you referenced your uh, past shop floor experience a uh, decade ago. Uh, it's fair to say that Argentina pretty much owns Malbec these days. Yeah, I think I, I well, I, I say yes. It's a bit of an easy thing to say, I suppose. I think um, at that sort of price fighting level, perhaps towards the sort of lower end of the market, you do see you know, Malbec on the label of wines from kind of all around the world, from France, from Australia, Chile, from the US. And there it's, you know, it's about that sort of smooth, rich style again. I think in a way it's sort of unique as well, though. I think um, Argentinian Malbec and, you know, uh, there are other, you know, historically premium regions for Malbec, um, like Cahors in France, but I think actually the style the style coming from there is so different, it's not necessarily going to appeal to the same the same kind of consumer. You were obviously on those uh, judging panels uh, back in uh, the summer, feels like a long time ago. Uh, for you, um, what defines um, a good Malbec? And were there some, some really impressive examples there that, uh, that, you know, blew you away? There were, yeah, I think the the Malbec was definitely some of the strongest things that we that we tasted. I think I think stylistically, it's that sort of razor edge of of um, uh, of ripeness in the fruit. And I think you know you can have those kind of red fruited examples from higher up. There's a lot of that kind of blueberry damson fruit influence as well. I think in a lot of the wines. And I think just getting that balance exactly right and not allowing the fruit to become overly ripe and overly baked was really key. Um, and then I think again that that sort of cusp of just being having enough bite enough tannin um but still kind of leaning into the the sort of natural kind of smooth smooth texture that that you get from malbec i think those are the strong those you know the wines that were strongest had those had those sort of um characteristics and and like i said before not you know not too much oak oak as a as a little added edge rather than trying to sort of overwhelm the whole wine yeah, here, here. Junior, uh, you were sitting at your top table um, overseeing the judging process and uh, tasting a, a very significant number of these wines or retasting. What makes a great Malbec wine for you? David, I think this, this competition, as we all know, uh, IWSC is, is one of the strict, strictest competition. We are very lucky to have some of the very best professionals but those professionals, they tend to be the strictest. So before defining a great Malbec, I think it's important to, to understand that um, just being in this competition, just being a, a, a wine without any faults uh, does not necessarily uh, wins medals. Uh, I think to, to win uh, a bronze medal, uh, I think the wine has to give the consumer pleasure. So that will be the, the, the first step. To win a silver medal, the wine has to give not only give pleasure, but it has to have a sense of identity, it has to have a personality, and really has to show that sense of place. Uh, and a gold medal winning wine, uh, I think that's what begins to define uh, 
a Malbec of, of great quality as 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 your question. Uh, I think it's aside from from having a sense of identity, personality, a sense of place, has to have excellent concentration, has to have intensity, complexity. I think. Above everything else, uh, a great Malbec for me, the easiest way to, to, to define is it's a wine that I want to have it at home and to share with my, with my family and with my friends. When you have that gut feel of say, wow, this, this, this wine has everything, identity, personality, concentration, complexity, and everything else. But the gut feel says, wow, I really want to have this bottle of wine in my house with my friends. That's for me what defines great Malbec. Or great wine for that matter. Yeah, that's a good definition. And it makes its presence felt, of course, Malbec, in some very successful blends. Uh, Julia, I know uh, we talked uh, after the judging process, and you feel that blends led by Malbec uh, is a a real area for development for Argentina. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, people talk about what's what's going to happen with Argentina. once people get tired of Malbec, I don't think that's that's an issue. That's not a problem because people don't get tired of Sauvignon, uh, Sauvignon Blanc anyway, but especially not of Burgundy. So Malbec, 100%, I think in the future we're, we're going to find wines that are more more refined and they have a better sense of place. But I really think uh, uh, that Malbec blends will be the future for, for, uh, for Argentina. And when we did taste some some of the Malbec blends that won a gold medal, uh, it was very very uh, easy to see that the sum of parts uh, were better than just any single component. So it's uh, I think the future it's Malbec 100% from specific locations and Malbec blends from Argentina, and I have no doubt about that. And then of those other red varieties, of which there are plenty. Which really shine for you? Well, I think I've been to Argentina several times, and Petit Verdot, uh, I think, can shine and has very good potential. I think Bonarda in Argentina has the the potential, but it's often overlooked and mm. underappreciated. What excites me the most, David, is is Pinot Noir uh, from Argentina, especially from from cooler. Uh, marginal climates. Uh, that's the answer of my question. I'm less excited. Uh, I have tasted some some good examples, but I'm less excited about uh, Merlot, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Syrah. And what about Cabernet Franc? Oh, Cabernet Franc is is phenomenal. I, I, uh, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, Cabernet I've Franc. I've got a soft spot for that. Definitely one of my favorites, especially from from uh, south of Mendoza. Uh, from Tupungato, that some of some of the the the, the terroir, there, the altitude, the, the 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 limestone soils, the wines are phenomenal. And uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's one of my favorites grapes from Argentina. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree, and I get so much more excited about Cabernet Franc than I do Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot, as as you uh, rightly said. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the whites, which grape variety do you think has the greatest potential in Argentina? In terms of whites, I think based on, on recent tastings, um, Chardonnay. But not as Chardonnay, but actually just a variety uh, uh, as a vehicle for the terroir. I'm not talking about 
great varieties. It's just a, 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 as in Burgundy is is a variety that shows its, its terroir extremely well, and I think it does beautifully in in Argentina. Aside from that, I think old vine Semillon is also very excited, exciting in Argentina. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Semillon gets overlooked quite often, doesn't it? Very, very often it's overlooked. But some of the old vines, uh, they, and they are they make phenomenal wines, and they age beautifully. Yeah. Yes, delicious wines. Now we should mention Torontes as well. Um, you confessed, I think, at the opening of the judging process that. Uh, Personally, it's not one of your, you know, favourite grape varieties, and clearly, it's not uh, uh, one of Beth's favourite grape varieties either, uh, nor one of mine uh, at its sort of floral worst. But actually, there are some really seriously elevated examples these days in Argentina, aren't there? Yes, Torontes is, as you said, it has its followers. I am not one of them, but my role here is is just to understand the style and to reward the best wines uh, in class. I have tasted uh, some some excellent, excellent examples, including doing the judging. Uh, I think the wine was in a border between silver and gold. And I think when they managed to, to, to show uh, that the variety ex- expression, when they're able to maintain a sense of elegance and, and subtlety, and um, have the lovely, pleasant fruit character, but without being cloying. I think it's it can be, it can be very good. Um, it has its followers, uh, like uh, Muscat has, like Viognier has, like Gewurst has. But um, you may, David, you may catch me with a glass of Torontes, but it's not something that uh, that I'm really uh, searching for on on uh, on on the normal basis but when when they are good they 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 can be very good yeah we'll be sure to take a picture of you with that glass of uh, torontes when we see it then um i know you feel strongly that chardonnay which is the third most planted white grape variety in argentina uh, but Mm -hmm. really you know punching above that position as you said um Mm -hmm. you feel very strongly we've talked about burgundy already that it's important that the winemakers of argentina have their own hallmark for Chardonnay, that they don't go too far down the road of of aping the Burgundian style. Yes. Um I think this is part of the part of the development. If you go back, if you go look go back in, in, in decades ago, as I said earlier, some of the wines was were oxidized and 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 dull and then uh with technology it became cleaner, with more more pleasant fruits. And more recently, I see that uh, producers, some of the more ambition, uh, 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 ambitious producers copying Burgundy. And they are studying and researching their own terroir, which is normal. Uh, and um, I, I think as, as confidence grows, uh, I think we're going to see more of their own personality. Uh, at the moment, uh, to be fair, I think the very best wines still... Um, very similar, or has they have the hallmarks of, of Burgundy, which is not a, look. It's, it's not a bad thing, uh, as long as it, it, we understand that this is part of the process, and as long as the wines are offering great value for money on this journey, to to have their own sense of place. I think the the, the consumer 
it's it's well served. It's 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 Argentinian Chardonnay, which is which has similarity with the Burgundy, but offering great value for money. So why not why not try it now? But uh, and uh, but in the future we expect uh, to pick a, a Chardonnay from from Argentina. And say okay, this wine comes from this specific uh, sub region. We're not there yet, but uh, it, it will. It's, it's just part of the process. Which areas beyond Mendoza, which obviously dominates, um, which excites you the most in Argentina, Junior? Well, beyond uh, Mendoza, uh, well, let's talk about, just briefly. I mean, there's some really exciting uh, new terroir within Mendoza, but your question is, it, it's, it's outside. So, David, I think Salta, Salta for Malbec with that combination of... Um, High altitude and luminosity—it's—it it's, can make some exceptionally good wines. But uh, I think there it excites me the most is uh, Patagonia for for Pinot Noir. Yes, why? It's—I think it's look. If you look at the terroir, it's so difficult. I mean, there's so much. It's, it's there's no altitude there. It's it's uh, latitude. So it's, it's really down south. It's, it's incredibly strong uh, winds. Very very low yields, uh, very cold nights. But the wines are some of the wines I've tasted from there. They are full of energy and, and they are absolutely amazing. So that for me, that's one of one of the, my my areas to to watch. Yeah, great. Uh, what advice then would you give Argentina's winemakers? I mean, you've just in the judging process uh, tasted hundreds of wines. They're facing a challenging time. Argentina's winemakers for reasons that are very much not their own fault, political uh, reasons, but they're also enjoying great success abroad. Uh, what advice would you give them now? Oh, there are a few things to think about, David. I think, look, I'm not, I'm not a wise man. So when I look for wisdom, I, I often look at some old, old textbooks. And there's a story that your question just remind me of now. There's a story about an old king and his uh, wise advisor uh, the king i think the king tried to test his the advisor and ask him for an impossible task and he i don't know if you have if you you must you may have heard of this story but the king requested a, a magic ring and he said if the person was sad and wore the ring it would make him happy and if the person was happy and uh, wore the ring it would make him sad so it's almost an impossible task so the the wise man came back to the king after a few days of thinking and, and gave her this ring. And on the ring, it was written, this too shall pass. So going back to the, the producers, whatever, it's, it, it's, it, it is a, a, a turbulent time. It is a very difficult time. But they, they have to know this, this will pass. So political upheavals, inflation, so on and so forth. I think the, the, the real... Uh, advice is like just focus on your brand you're running your own race uh, work on making small improvements every day i think entering competitions like like uh, iwc is great because it's, it serves as a benchmark tell you just telling where you are whatever you do in vineyards you have to be mindful of of the environment um in terms of say, sustainability i think it's very very important and um, I think don't forget to to enjoy life. I mean, things are challenging. Yes, we know it is challenging, but um, look, you, 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 we're in a great industry. We just should enjoy our lives uh, uh, also along along the way. And the same theme for you, Beth. Uh, beyond Malbec, 
uh, because we've really talked about that as a varietal wine now. Uh, what else impressed you in terms of reds? I think everyone was really impressed by uh, the top Cabernet Franc that we tasted. Um, mm. I think that's a really exciting, great variety. Um, yeah, that showed showed very well in the tastings. I think one of the one of the gold medals that everyone kept going back for another taste of was was a Cabernet Franc. I think Cabernet Cabernet Sauvignon as well. Um, but really, I think where that where that shone best was in a blend. Um, and it, I think it's no coincidence that a lot of those top wines that we see coming from Argentina, the ones that are traded on La Plaza de Bordeaux, are are blends as well. And I think that's that's a really exciting area for uh, development um in the industry there and i think yeah we should support that i think and 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 sort of try and get out of that paradigm of, of just having a single variety on a, on a label from the new yeah world. absolutely it's tough for them but i think um uh, that's so true and cabernet franc in argentina i couldn't agree more um it, it can be um divine i think um it's a funny grape um it sort of seems to manifest itself in different ways in different places perhaps more so than uh, a number of other grape varieties I can think of. For you, what does sort of a good Argentinian Cabernet Franc represent? Yeah, I think I draw most parallels with the sort of the right bank of Bordeaux Cabernet Franc rather than anything you see in the Loire Valley and that kind of style. I think I think what what it lends really beautifully to the wines is that sort of savoury edge and that um, yeah, sort of savoury and a bit of herbal and that I think that just balances really nicely with the the sort of the kind of plush kind of pure ripe fruits that they they get so naturally there it adds that sort of extra dimension i think that just pushes the wines into into that kind of fine wine category yeah for sure let's talk about white wines because we judged uh, plenty of those um your thoughts on the whites that you were assessing beth yeah there's some lovely whites i think um i think the chardonnays probably showed the best and I suppose there's just there's a lot to work with there there's a lot that the winemaker can do to express themselves through through the wines um so Chardonnay was was a highlight there's some good Semillon um there were some good blends there as well and quite ambitious blends um at the same time so um you know a mixture of sort of uh more aromatic grapes with um with non-aromatic um which yeah we sort of tried to reward as much as we could in in the judging so yeah, I think the whites the whites are a, a kind of exciting place. I think I sort of I've always struggled a little bit with um Torontes, I guess, in its sort of purest form when it's made, you know, in that kind of reductive style and and it's just very, very floral. Mm. Um I kind of worry that focus there is is yeah, a little bit mis misguided just because I think if on the red side you have this very sort of approachable, accessible style that has you know real appeal across so many different groups of consumers um you can't do that on one hand and then on the other hand be be trying to push um what is probably quite a divisive style of white wine yes i mean it is let's be honest uh there were a few elevated styles of torontes that we tasted yeah. that do definitely in fairness um sort of run to the top of the pack i suppose uh yeah that there were and, and they were quite impressive i think when you when you're having to kind of work a lot on sort of building texture and you know work with the leaves and um overlaying you know a bit of oak maturation and, and so on i suppose that those wines then showed better to, to us in the tasting i guess my only worry with that is that's 
um, quite different again from that sort of the, the more sort of mid-level entry-level expressions of Torontes that you, you sometimes see in the market. Yes so we could confuse our consumer who's not that familiar with Torontes yeah. as a variety anyway. Let's talk about the Chardonnay though because despite only being the third most planted white variety in Argentina it really uh, punches above what excites you about Chardonnay from Argentina? I think they, um, I think that sort of extra level of acidity and freshness that the wine producers can get either through altitude or from growing it um, in much cooler parts of the country. I think that's where it's most exciting um, for me at the moment. Um, you're going to get that very appealing, I guess, international style of Chardonnay and um with some careful use of oak, I think the the wines are really beautiful. With you know, love lots of lots of fruit, but it, they've got that elegance. I think from that that elevated freshness. Absolutely, and I know that you mentioned this uh, when we were on the judging trip. Um, there's a real opportunity for Argentina with the prices that we are seeing in Burgundy right now. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I think there's there's always going to be there's always going to be consumers who, you know, they only want Burgundy and. And luckily for them, you know, they're not so price sensitive. Um, but I think if consumers are looking for kind of exciting Chardonnay that does compete, then, uh, you know, it's sort of never been a better time, really, for kind of all around the world. Um, and Argentina's definitely up there. And it's probably not because of the dominance of the red wines um, in the export markets. It's, it's nowhere near the sort of top five, I guess, that people would people would. Um, pick out of their heads as top places for Chardonnay around the world. Yeah, but and they should. A, there's a real opportunity there. Yes, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I get the sense that there are still plenty of wine lovers um, who, who need to get to know Chardonnay from Argentina. Yeah, definitely. I think, and especially if um, if people think of Argentina and they go straight to Mendoza and they think straight away of Malbec. Um, I mean, we tasted some great wines from, from up and down Argentina. And I think... Um, you know, Patagonia, for example, is a really, really exciting place. Um, and we tried some great Chardonnays from there that are really, you know, really zippy and fresh and um, absolutely delicious. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Uh, we tend to talk a lot about altitude. We talk a lot about the Andes. We talk a lot about Mendoza province and and justifiably so because um, it, it really dominates uh, winemaking. Uh, but um, there's latitude too, isn't there? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's, that you know they're, they're miles away from each other so it's it's um it's one of those things a bit like some of the other large kind of new world uh, producing countries you know you're talking about completely different conditions down in Patagonia and uh, and there's so much to get excited about down there I think and and you know yeah anything from anything from those zippy chardonnays and um pinot noir but also you know they, they're making malbec down there too and and in a really exciting style yeah, you know, that that sort of the conditions down there, it's so isolated. You know, there's no chance of disease. The water's incredibly pure. The light's incredibly pure. I think that's yeah, a very exciting place to be making wine. Absolutely. And uh, you influence uh, plenty of winemakers. Uh, what would be your advice to uh, Argentina's winemakers, if that's not too much of a, a, a general question? Yeah, I think it would. I mean, I think one of the challenges that I saw when I was there is what you don't have and I suppose it's it's largely driven by uh well it's driven by loads of things but the sort of economic factors at play in Argentina 
Um, you've got these very big companies that do wines, everything from sort of very entry level to very, very premium. And they're trying to find a place in export for for all of those wines. What you don't have is these sort of small growers picking up a bit of land, um, you know, making wine in a small place and then kind of and then growing from there. Um, you don't see that right now anyway, or not not very much. So I think anyone anyone looking at the UK just needs to really understand, I suppose, where where different wines are sold and and therefore what their their strategy should be to get as many as possible um in the country but for example you know a fine wine merchant like the one that i work for you know will be able to sell that very premium wine if we can really get to grips with um with the story of the place and and the people um we can't necessarily be selling containers and containers of malbec for for seven pounds and then vice versa as well um so i think a really clear strategy on on that is is what's important and then um at the at the very premium end, really honing in on what makes that place special and how you can communicate about what is a very, very complex um, place. Yeah. Well, talking of complexity, uh, we normally round off with a desert island wine, which ordinarily could be from anywhere, but I'm going to limit you for obvious reasons today. If you could choose one wine from Argentina to enjoy, uh, Beth, what would it be? I think a, a wine I go back to time and time again is... Um, is a Lisa Malbec from down in Patagonia. I think it definitely has that sort of that very kind of chalky, breathtaking kind of freshness that creates such lovely balance in the wine. Um, and the fruit is just that sort of perfect ripeness. Um, so yeah, that, that's one that I go back to time and time again. Great. Thank you, Beth. And uh, Junior, same question to you. Desert Island wine from Argentina. It's one wine only, I'm afraid. What's it going to be? Only the one. I'm. I'm not gonna name uh, a producer, but uh, in terms of grape variety, in terms of style, and I'll be a little bit uh, different. People expect, okay, Argentinian Malbec. Now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to something slightly different, David. I'll uh, select, uh, a, a, as I said earlier, a Pinot Noir from um, from the south of Argentina, from Patagonia. Oh wow! Wasn't expecting that answer. I knew it wouldn't be Torontes, but. Uh... <laughs> I uh, wasn't expecting that answer. Uh, I think I would probably go for one of those um, elevated Chardonnays uh, that we were talking about uh, earlier on myself. So we've got a nice, uh, nice, a nice spread. Um, if you bring so, the Chardonnay, I'll bring the Pinot. Oh, yeah. Well, we're like, we can recreate Burgundy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thanks ever so much. As always, Junior, it's uh, great to chat to you. And thanks uh, too, to uh, you, Beth. Uh, great to have you here for the first time on The Drinking Hour. It's a pleasure, David. Thank you. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. Well, if that has provided inspiration, let's round off with some medal winners to try from that judging process in July 23. A total of 444 medals were awarded two wines from Argentina with 11 golds, more than 150 silver and over 270 bronze medals. Malbec led the gold medal haul with six out of 11 golds awarded two wines made from that grape variety. Domaine Bousquet, Grand Bousquet, Organic Malbec 2021 was one of the highest scoring wines, a gold medal winner with 96 points. 
This one from the panel that uh, Beth was chairing. Uh, they describe layers of dried exotic spices, dark fruits and chalky notes, combined with violet, roses, oak and hints of roasted red fruit characteristics on the nose and palate. Well integrated oak notes with medium tannins, lifted acidity and balanced alcohol and fruit. Next, Chicana, Aini, Malbec 2020. This one from La Consulta, a gold medal winner. The panel's tasting note, elegant and perfumed with notes of ripe black and red fruits. Finely grained tannins on the palate with undertones of herbal and balsamic textures. Plus, and an opulent mouthfeel of pepper, spice and violets. A long and vibrant, fresh length. And that wine is widely available in the UK at about £25, according to the research I've just undertaken. We were talking earlier about the bright future for red blends, led by Malbec. And here's a gold medal winner, 97 points. It also scooped a trophy representing best in show. Bodegas Bianchi, Grand Familia Corte 2020. I was on the judging panel for this one. I remember it well. Our tasting note, appealing perfume of cassis and ripe black fruits. Full-bodied, carrying black pepper, cloves and cigar box. Complex layers of flavour and texture. Traditional in style, offering 10 years of potential. Finish is gentle, persistent with dark fruit and an ethereal feel. Just going to show that it's not all about Malbec. Here's one of those wonderful Cabernet Franc wines that we were raving about earlier. I was uh, on the panel for this as well. Antigal Winery and Estates. Aduentus Cabernet Franc 2019. A gold medal and a trophy for this one. We said heady and expressive with poached plum, juicy wild blackberry and ripe black cherry. Their soft, polished leather, nuts and coffee with dried rosemary, roasted capsicum, adding to an enticing complexity, underlining an intense, brooding, bold sense of place. And here's the gold medal winning Chardonnay we discussed briefly earlier. Bodega Argento, Hualtallery Single Vineyard Chardonnay, 2021. Our tasting note described a wine that was precise and linear with an impressive fruit purity of melon, grapefruit and tangy lemon peel. An enticing mineral chalkiness with a touch of herbal complexity leads to a long, bracingly fresh finish. Elegant, fine and compelling, we said. And that makes me want a glass of wine, actually. That's it for this week uh, for The Drinking Hour. My thanks uh, to Junior and to Beth for sharing uh, their enthusiasm for all things uh, in Argentina and uh, hope you enjoyed that. Do join us next time. For now, goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.